Sometimes you really feel your need for God, his spirit to fall afresh on you and to empower you. I don't know if any of you have felt that way lately. It's been a challenging year so far for the Broadway family. It's been a challenging year for many of us. Uh, but God is faithful and he has sustained us. And I'm grateful that we're here now. We can open his word and just sit back and listen to him speak to us. We know that he loves us. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. He's promised there's no good thing he would hold back from us. He's promised to work everything together for our good, for those of us who are called according to his purposes and who love Jesus. So we know that he is making us more like Christ. He is bringing us closer to himself every day through all the different circumstances of our lives, even in spite of our own failures. And we know that when we come to his word like this, that it never goes out without accomplishing his purposes. So I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for those things. I'm grateful to be opening up this text with you. It's Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. That's our text for this morning. We pick up where we left off last week, the story of Abraham. To begin with, just in your mind's eye, picture an old man. Go ahead and get him in your mind's eye. An old man, and it's a hot afternoon, the hottest part of the day in a hot place in this world. That kind of heat where you look toward the horizon and there's like the blur of the heat coming back up from the ground, you know what I'm talking about? It's a hot day and he sits there in the heat. He's sitting at the door of his tent. You can hear the flaps of the tent sort of moving around in the breeze. He's under the shade of oak trees to get some relief from the heat. And it's a time of day in this part of the world and this time in history where people usually would just be resting and not traveling. And so there he sits. This man's life has been marked by belief in God's promises for decades now. God has promised this man to make him into a great name and to bring him into a promised land. And so he, years before, left his homeland and his family and traveled, and now he's settled here in this place where he sits. He was also promised offspring, and that through this offspring would come nations, and through this offspring would come Uh, I'm sorry, I said nations, a special nation called apart to God. And through that nation would come one that would bless every nation that we know to be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. For this, he's still waiting. He is old. He's about 100 years old. His wife is old. She's about 90 years old. And she has always been barren. So these are some seemingly impossible promises. But he believes them, and he's acted upon them. And here he sits in the heat, still waiting. We don't know what his day-to-day life looked like, but perhaps this was his everyday routine, just in the heat of the day, sitting out by the door of his tent in the shade of these oak trees. He sits there, believing and waiting, and something catches his attention, and that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him, referring to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, 
three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So here's, in one sense, kind of a slice of life, a day in Abraham's life. But it's a momentous day. These three mysterious visitors appear. What's emphasized here in this first paragraph is just his eagerness and his humility. He ran out to greet them. It would have been more customary in his society to have stood and waited for them to approach, but he ran out to greet them. Everything he did was quick. He said, Sarah, quick, get some food together. Young man, quick, prepare this meat. He did it quickly. He did it humbly. He said, if I have found favor in your sight, please stay. That's how you would talk to someone of a higher status. He prepared good food and way more than enough. And then he acted as host and waiter while they ate. And whether he knew it or not, these were not just passers-by. This was something more than that, and they had business to attend to. So let's go ahead and read on a little further into verses 9 and 10. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So this mystery is unfolding. In verse 1, we saw the Lord appeared to him. The Lord appeared to Abram, Abraham. Then in verse 2, when he looks up, what he sees is three men standing in front of him. In verse 9, they said something to Abraham, they being these three men. But then here in verse 10, the Lord said to Abraham. So this is a really mysterious thing going on here. Abraham saw what looked like three men. It's clear that one of these was actually the Lord appearing to Abraham as a man. Now, these looked like three men. They had feet that needed to be washed. They had stomachs that needed to be filled. But here, one is the Lord, and we will see later in a passage for the future, not for today, that the other two were angels. So it's the Lord and two angels appeared to Abraham. This is what's known as a theophany. It's an appearance of God in the Old Testament. He appeared as a burning bush to Moses, speaking to him. He appears as sort of in a whirlwind, and here he appears as a man. Maybe this was the same form he had in the other appearances when he spoke to Abraham. Maybe Abraham knew that it was the Lord. Maybe he didn't. We're really not sure, and frustratingly, it doesn't elaborate on it at all. Isn't that the part of the story you would really want it to elaborate on? What do you mean it was the Lord? What do you mean it looked like three men? Well, tough. God, he elaborates on what he elaborates on, and then he doesn't elaborate on what he doesn't elaborate on. So as much as we want to drill down into that and solve this mystery, instead the passage moves on from it because that doesn't actually even seem to be the point. As amazing as that is, it doesn't seem to even be the main point of this passage. So we need to move along with the passage just like it does. The point seems to come here in verses 10 and 11. We'll read 10 again. The Lord said, and here he's getting down to the business for which he came, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. How many times does it need to repeat the fact they're old? 
Now, Sarah and Abraham were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So this is really the big idea of the passage and the main thing we're meant to dwell on. God is yet again reaffirming and renewing this promise of this offspring that's going to come through Abraham and Sarah. And once again, he's repeatedly reminding us, remember, they're old. Did you remember that they're old? They're old, old, old. That, that is like the main thing they want us to know. They're old, and she is biologically past childbearing years. Biologically, it's impossible. In terms of their age, it's impossible. That's what we're meant to get a grip on here. And so Sarah responds to this the same way Abraham did and the same way we might if we came to hear such seemingly impossible promises from God. Verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So she laughs about it. It seems laughable to her the same way as it did to Abraham last week. But this time, the Lord directly addresses what she is saying in a way a little different from how he did with Abraham. Verse 13, the Lord responds to this laughter. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And then I I love the way it ends. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. I have no real point to preach from verse 15, but it has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It just seems like a parent interacting with their kids. I didn't laugh. We both know you laughed. We both know you find it hard to believe this promise. We both know it seems impossible. That's why I have, through my Holy Spirit, inspired it to be reminded so frequently through Scripture. It seems impossible. This is really the point that I I want to make this morning. It's actually going to be a very simple sermon before we get into commissioning our officers this year. God makes and keeps seemingly impossible promises to his people. That's just something that he does, and he loves to do it. He makes and keeps seemingly impossible promises to his people. He likes for it to seem impossible. He likes for it to be, humanly speaking, impossible. Because then the only explanation can be that God did it. There's a recurrent theme of God providing children through previously barren women. Exemplified first and foremost and most, uh, not first and foremost, but most extremely through Mary, who she had not yet proven barren, but she was a virgin, had never even had an opportunity to have a child. And through barrenness, he has provided children. And even through virginity, he provided the child, Jesus Christ. And he he likes to do it that way. He likes to do it in such a way that we can't pat ourselves on the back, but that we have to humbly and maybe even desperately wait upon him to fulfill his promises. God makes and keeps seemingly impossible promises to his people. Our job is to believe those promises and act on them, to live as if they are true, as if he is going to fulfill them, because we know from his track record that he does. So for Abraham, believing in God's promise for this offspring meant acting through circumcision, 
circumcision was the physical sign that he believed in this covenant before he even had this miraculous child. For the people of Israel receiving this word originally, they believed God's promise of giving them the promised land by invading it, even though they only had one God, and those people had many gods, supposedly. And even though they were one small nation, these people were great and mighty. And for us, we talked last week about what it looks like for us as individuals to believe God's promises and act accordingly. And what I want to focus on as we close our time this Sunday is to think about it as a church. As a church, we are called to believe God's seemingly impossible promises and act on them. What would it look like for us as a church to fully, deep down to the core of our hearts and souls, believe everything in here and act accordingly? That's what we're called to do. And the phrase I want to pull out is that first part of verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This would be a great phrase for us to keep in our back pockets to remind each other of when we start to doubt and when we start to laugh about the prospects of God's coming through on his promises. And when we look at the circumstances and just see no possible way forward. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You can understand reality in four stages. We're zooming out just a little bit here. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's the basic four stages of reality. Creation, God created everything for his glory. It was good. Fall, mankind whom he gave free will, chose poorly and sinned and distorted everything. Sin just wrecked everything. And so we, we live still in a state of the fall where things are messed up. That's why we get sick. That's why there's wars. That's why there's pandemics. That's why we get upset for reasons we don't even understand. That's why everything is a mess. We're still living in the state of the fall in this fallen world, but we're also living in the next phase, which is redemption. God's answer to the fall was to send his son, Jesus Christ, and through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has made a way for humanity to be redeemed for our fallen nature to be forgiven and restored through a process of sanctification. We're being made right again. In a world that is continuing to deteriorate, we, God's people, are being redeemed. We are fully redeemed in Christ, and now we're in the process of of learning how to live in light of that redemption every day. And then one day Jesus is going to return, and that's called consummation. He's going to return, make that redemption process complete, new heavens, new earth, New bodies for all of us. Complete sanctification is done. That's where it all is all headed. But right now we live in this kind of in-between time where we're in the process of being redeemed while the world is in the process of continuing to deteriorate. Jesus, after his resurrection, sent his apostles, empowered by his Holy Spirit, to preach the good news of this redemption, and through that process they established the church. And ever since then, the church has unstoppably progressed and moved forward. He left his people here on this earth after they became saved because he has a mission and point for his people to be here. He could have went ahead and zapped us into his presence right then, but that's not how he chose to operate. He wanted to use the church. We are that church. The Bible calls us sanctified. It calls us saints. It calls us the pillar and buttress of truth. 
It calls us the body of Christ. You want to know what God is up to in the world? Look at the church. The church is his program. The church is his plan for how he is carrying out the work of Jesus Christ in the world now. You want to be involved in what God is doing in the world. You be involved in his church because that is his plan and that is his program. That's how he has designed his work to continue on as his people are redeemed until Jesus comes back in consummation. He promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Being a part of this church that Jesus is building is the highest calling you or I will ever receive in our lives. I've had occasion to ask a couple of people who are leading organizations this question, and I'll ask you this about our church. Where do you see us in 20 years? Where do you see Doolin's Grove Church in 20 years? What are your hopes for what Doolin's Grove Church might be like in 20 years? What are your fears for what Doolin's Grove Church could be like in 20 years? I used to think in 10-year terms, but now I'm in 13 years here with you, and I see how fast 10 years goes, so we'll double that, and we'll think in terms of 20 years. You know, we, we struggle in many ways as a church, but God has always been faithful to us, and we have everything that we need to be faithful to him, and we know that Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we struggle to get all of our, our active members to attend on the same Sunday once, much less regularly. But is anything too hard for the Lord? He could bring all of us back and then some to where we, we don't have room in here anymore. Like that would be so easy for him to do. He could absolutely do that. He could do that before I'm done preaching. All of a sudden, people could just start coming in. Oh, we got the time wrong, but we're here now. We struggle to get all of our church parents focused on raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord in a world that is so enticing with distractions and so skilled at hooking families in to extracurricular activities. But is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord could create a movement among the parents of the church, our church included, that empties out a lot of these extracurricular activities if they take place on Sundays or Wednesdays or if they start to interfere with church to where coaches and school systems have to say, well, we, there's no participants because they're all at church all the time. We'll have to adjust our expectations and our schedule. Instead of the church having to adjust our expectation and our schedule, the Lord could do that. He could make it to where this, trusting and following Jesus together, is the priority. And where Christians are concerned, people and employers have to just realize, well, we're just going to have to adjust things because these Christians don't bend They are firmly dedicated to Jesus Christ above all else. The Lord could do that. We're struggling with our next generation. Not just our church, but the church. We're struggling with these children and preteens and teens to get them to hear the gospel, to get them to accept the gospel, be baptized, join the church, get ingrained into the life of the church. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Man, he could do it in a second. They could become the energetic base of all of our ministries. We could get to where we can't even get from point A to point B for tripping over children who the Lord has brought in here. 
You know, this generation that's coming up now, that, which I've said before, I think is the first generation in our area that won't be able to say, I grew up going to church. He could turn that around, and they and their kids could be more dedicated than any generation we've ever seen before. The Lord could absolutely do that. And sometimes it seems like our evangelistic outreach in the community feels weak, although we have seen some exciting fruit in that area lately. But man, is anything too hard for the Lord? Imagine how he could establish us and our other local churches around, not even just Advent Christian churches, but all of us, we local churches, as these beacons of light and hope and truth and certainty in this decaying world that's just getting darker and darker and less certain and more divided and more contentious. As Americans who are so autonomous and individual, we struggle to embrace real deep fellowship with one another where our lives as Christians are fully ingrained with one another. There's just a lot of barriers to overcome. But is anything too difficult for the Lord? He could absolutely among us as a church and all our churches, just weave our lives together to where once again, this culture of isolation and individualism, people could look to us and say, man, they are part of something absolutely unique in human history, and especially in our land. There's something different about them. You know, we've, I've been mentioning a lot lately to pray for new and hopefully from our younger segments of the church people to take responsibility for our ministries as a church you know who will be our moderators and deacons and deaconesses and teachers in 20 years we really need our children our teenagers to be dis- being discipled to growing mature and into these roles and sometimes it seems difficult i mean you know look around right now and and i'm not sure what the average or median age is in the room but let me actually look for a second. Ethan, Isaac, Josh, Elias. You are the hope in 20 years. <laughs> Three washes in a Broadway. Now, we have more, and some are out of town, and there's reasons why some aren't here. But this is fairly typical for us on a Sunday morning. Now, can you all sustain the church in 20 years, the four of you? Five, six, however many more? Sometimes it seems seemingly impossible. What are we going to do? But is anything too hard for the Lord? He could have us swelling with new emerging ministers in our church that are gifted and zealous and want to dedicate themselves to various ways of serving as part of this church to where we don't even have enough capability to organize it all. and We have to send batches out to just plant whole new churches because there's just not enough ministry to go around for all of this. He could absolutely do that. We could have new pastors being trained up in here throughout the coming years that go out and pastor other churches. We could have so many teachers that we just have too many teachers, and so we prayerfully, they go off to other churches that don't have strong teaching, and they teach there. The Lord could do anything he wants to do among us. There is nothing hindering him in his strength and power. I encounter a lot of pessimism and cynicism about the church at large as I talk to other pastors and even denominational leaders because ministry is very hard and we there is a lot of opposition and our world is custom designed against it but man if if you believe the promises of God there's really very little reason to ever be pessimistic 
He is absolutely at work among us. We see the fruit of it now, and I'm very hopeful for what kind of abundant fruit he might bring in the future. Jesus will build his church. The gates of hell, hell, hell will not prevail against it. We are on an unstoppable train that he is driving, and nothing is going to slow it down. He is too powerful. He is too wise. He is too strong. Our job is to believe and act accordingly. Believe God's covenant promises through Jesus Christ and act on them by dedicating ourselves to his service, whatever that might look like. Now today, I'm really grateful for those for whom that dedication to his service has looked like official service in the church. It may not look that way for all of us, but for these, I am really grateful that they're willing to serve in these roles. Now I want to transition now to commissioning them and commissioning all of us for the callings God has placed on our lives. In just a minute, I'm going to call them by name and ask them to come up here so we can see them and recognize them and pray for them. Before I do that, though, this passage on the top of your insert, this is the, the prayer, I guess you would call it, that I want to be kind of the umbrella over all of this, including our time in the fellowship hall after this service. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's what we believe. Sometimes we just need to be reminded. This is what we believe. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Your wildest dreams, he's able to do far abundantly more than that. He does it through the power at work within us and for his glory. He is out to glorify himself in the church. He's out to glorify himself in our church. He's out to glorify himself in Jesus Christ and through all generations, even after our generation. 